Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. Moses was prepared to do what God had called him to do. And we can see this throughout the Bible from beginning to end. God puts people through the preparation providentially, gives them opportunity, calls them stewards and says, utilize those opportunities and prepare yourself for what I'm going to use you to do. know God has a supernatural plan, but when it comes to the really important work, we often assume God will choose someone more qualified, more mature, or more spiritual for those tasks. Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares reminds us that God is providentially preparing us for His work, and we need to trust in God's plan. I'm your host, Dave Drewy. Get ready for another gospel lesson from the Old Testament and a message from Pastor Mike called The Preparation of Moses. Take a look at verse 17 of Acts chapter 7, verse 17. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, I don't like that translation, granted, he'd, he'd given the promise to him, right? It's not, he didn't fulfill it. Granted, it seems like it's fulfilled, not fulfilled yet. Promised him a land, pulled him out of the Mesopotamian, Babylonian crescent there, and, and he brings him into a land where he's a, a sojourner. He doesn't get the land. And the people increased and multiplied in Egypt. Now, my question, I suppose, for you, if you're thinking, a thinking Christian, you look at that and say, what part of the promise is going to be fulfilled? You've got to think back to the Abrahamic covenant, parts to the covenant. The covenant, first of all, is, Abraham, you don't have any kids, but you're going to have a, a big family come from you. You're going to have this big nation. So he doesn't have any kids, and we got to grow the population. And then he says, you're going to be brought to a land I'm going to put you in. So there's the land part of it. I'm going to make your name great. You're going to be a great person and renowned. And then you're going to bless the whole earth through somehow what I'm going to do through you. All the nations of the earth will be blessed. So these segments of the promise, my question is, which part of the promise is drawing near to be fulfilled? And, and you look at the passage and you go, well, they're increasing in number. Well, that's incremental. So I guess that's being fulfilled a little at a time. Are you following this? What part do you think he has in mind here? Well, the part is the conquest of the land, it would seem. So we had, you know, 2000 BC, Abraham and the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, that whole period of time. And now we get to a place where 400 years later, we're, we're going to raise up Moses. We're going to get out of Egypt. They're out of the promised land. And then they're going to settle in the promised land. So we're almost to the land part of the promise. So as the time of the promise drew near, the fulfillment of that part, which God had promised to, to Abraham. The people increased and multiplied. So it's incrementally growing in population. So there's a promise fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, but then there's going to be delivered. We're going to go to the promised land. And that's the picture in the church as well. We sit here today saying we're growing the church, growing the church, growing the church, but we're waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who's going to come back and transform the world. And as I often quote from the book of Revelation, chapter 11, the kingdoms of the world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. So that's the hope. And I've said it, ad infinitum, right? The Christian life is not about the here and now. It's about the then and there. We're looking forward to that fulfillment. And that's the promise. Where the promise is he's coming and he's going to establish his kingdom. And it's going to be great. We're not going to sit on 12 folding chairs. We're going to sit on 12 thrones. It's going to be a big deal. 
and his glory is going to cover this earth. And that's what we're hoping in. That's the focus. That's what we're looking toward. And we rely all on that promise. Now, let me put it this way. Just like they had to believe that sitting in Egypt when they were slaves, growing and seeing part of the fulfillment, but not all of the fulfillment, you need to do the same. Put it this way. Patiently, number one, wait for God's promises. Wait for them. And you have to say, I live in Egypt with this absolute assurance and confidence in what Jesus said was true, right? And I'm telling you this, everything that God has promised, his track record has been pretty darn good. One passage with this. If I could just have you look at one cross-reference. James chapter five, please. James chapter five. Look at verse seven with me, please. This is what we need. I use the word patiently if you wrote that down. Patiently wait for God's promises. That sounds very passive, and of course, there's a lot of active things that we do in the middle of it all. But the, the key word here, I just want you to, to see it. You gotta be patient. Some of you are not patient people. Time for us to be more patient. Verse seven, James 5, seven, are you with me? Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. That, by the way, that'd be a good one. Put it right up on your, your kitchen sink. Put it right on your dashboard. That is a good summary of so much of what it is to live in Egypt and to say, okay, I, I, I'm going to be patient. Be patient. Therefore, brothers, we're in this family. We're part of this thing until the coming of the Lord. Well, I don't like to wait. Well, neither do farmers, but they have to. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. It doesn't all happen at once right? So also be patient. Now here's what you really need. Look at this great word. I love it. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Well, it's sure taken a long time. It's, it's not as though, and I often illustrate it this way, it's not like there's a train coming with your dad on it and it's a long ways across the country and it's taking so long to get here. That's not it. It's that dad is already in the house at the door. He's right outside the room. That's the picture. Matter of fact, it's one of the things that should govern our attitude. Speaking of attitude, verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. That's the picture. He could bust through this at any time, right? Christ could be dispatched today. Well, that's going to change your attitude. And it's going to change your attitude. It's going to change your grumbling. It's going to change your lack of patience. It's gonna, you're going to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hang in there. It's easy when it's easy. <laughs> Tweet that. Right? It's easy when it's easy. But it's not always easy. And so patience is only really needed when it's hard. And so whatever the difficulty is in you hanging, into this, hanging in this world another year, going through another week, going through another decade, serving God, doing what's right, evangelizing, pushing forward in this thing called Christianity, be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Put that on your sticky note and stick it up somewhere where you can see it and say, that is it. I have to trust his promise. All right, back to our text. Acts chapter 7, verse 19. He, Pharaoh, dealt shrewdly, this new 18th dynasty, whatever it was, assume so, our race was forced, forced our fathers to expose their infants that they would be, so that they would not be kept alive, want to kill our, our kids. At this time, Moses was born. He was beautiful in God's sight. He was brought up for three months in his father's house, and when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. Look at the providence of God in that, the right timing and how he got raised. All of that is the providence of God, the providence of God. As I said, the difficulty in waiting and showing that I trust God in the midst of the, the difficulties is that none of it gets resolved when I want. When I got COVID, it's like I want it to go away, God take it away. Of course, it's just to pray all those things. Get your, your thumb with a hammer and it's like, I just want the pain to go away. And, and when it pro 
prolongs, there's, there's the, the, the trouble. There's the, there's the tension and the problem. And I, I guess there's a challenge, and it's a distinction, and I want to make the distinction, between you say, I believe God's promises, and where this is going to all end well, there's this sense in which uh, the pathway, is the pathway right? Is this road the right one? Is the length of the road the right one? Why so long? In other words, why 400 years in Egypt? Why couldn't it be 200 years in Egypt? Why not 100 years in Egypt? Why not 10 years in Egypt? Why so long? Why so long? And here's where you're going to have to trust not only the, the destination and that God's going to fulfill the destination, you're going to have to trust the pathway and the process, the providence of God's pathway. And that's going to be a, a different kind of challenge. Number two, let's put it this way. You need to fully trust in God's providence. There's a word we don't like to use as much as we used to, providence. And, and, and you have to know that, for instance, why did, why did when God said, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go so you can go into the promised land, ultimately, worship in the desert and the wilderness, why didn't he say yes? Matter of fact, we keep seeing not only was he a jerk, Pharaoh's a jerk, but then God keeps making him more and more jerky, right? The Lord hardened his heart, Lord hardened his heart. Why? What, what are you doing? Why are you prolonging this battle? Well, you know how it all ends, and that ends with the 10 plagues, and the 10 plagues end up being a manifestation of God's power, which is very rare in breaking natural law in the Bible, less than 100 times, but that happens there in a big rash with Moses, and then out of that becomes what we learn from Hebrews 2, the authentication of written revelation, so those miracles become the reason people can look at Moses' writings and say, no, that's God's truth, it's not just one guy's best thoughts about God, it's God's thoughts on paper, and because of that, then people for the next, for us now, 3,400 years can read Genesis through Deuteronomy and go, that's the word of God. So we know this, that all of that pain and all the protraction and all of the showdown and all of the mess and all of the death and all of the sickness and all the plagues and all the problems and all the diseases and all of the blood resulted in someone being able to quote Deuteronomy 6 and go, I know what God says. I know what God is. I know how God acts. And so you can look at just that and it's an example and you say, well, God could have done it some other way. Well, okay, great. I, I suppose, but God chose to do it this way and I can see the good product of it all. And it's just like Joseph being able to look at his brothers and say, I know you meant it for evil and it wasn't fun, it wasn't good, but God meant it for good. That's called the providence of God, the sovereignty of God over those things. And you have to stand back and go, either that's true or it's not true, right? Either that's true or it's not true. It may be trite in your ears when you're suffering, but is it true or is it not true? that God works all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Is that true or is that not true? That God works all things together for good, all things together for good, to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. If that's true, then it's true. Then you need to act like it's true. Seriously, you need to act like it is true. And you and I don't act like it's true. And we like to say we have a good relationship with God. Well, I'm saying you don't trust God. That's what I'm trying to say to you. Right? Let me rebuke you. You don't trust God when you say, I believe that, but I act like I don't believe it by my attitude and my actions and my words and my criticism and my complaining and my hopelessness and my prayerlessness and my disobedience to God. If we believe it, then you're saying this, I know I got COVID in my case, for instance, because this is part of God's plan and there's a purpose in it and I trust it. And I'm not just pie in the sky. Well, you know what? Everything works out. I'm really believing the fact that everything works together for good. It doesn't mean my, my good necessarily, because my good, I'm not God and neither are you. It's God's good purpose. And he's got a good purpose that he's gonna work out through me. A lot of bad things happened to the Egyptians or the Israelites under the Egyptian enslavement, but all of that was gonna work together for good. Everything in it. 
All of that process was part of what God was doing. And if you're such a, a, a kindergartner that you think that God doesn't use bad things for good, then I'm going to say, grow up. Seriously, grow up. I'm so tired of the 12-year-old theology in people's minds that, you know, if it's, not, if it's not kittens and butterflies, it can't be from God. You understand every disaster in the world, right? Everything. There's not a, there's not a disaster that strikes a city, the Bible says, is not decreed by God. These things are utilized by God for his good purposes. He is God. And either you believe that or you don't. If you don't believe it, then great. I don't even know why we're here. We're just a bunch of atoms floating around and banging into each other. And I don't know why we would even think of anything beyond, you know, our, 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 our cosmology or our, our, our physiology. But if there is a God and we are made in his image, then there's something beyond all of this. And we have to recognize that there is a God. He has revealed himself. And here's what he says about himself. I work everything out according to my plan. Ephesians 1, work everything after the counsel of my will. Even the, the stuff in your life that you don't like. Everything. Everything. And you either believe that or you don't. If you believe that, then I'm going to say I'm going to trust fully in it. I trust in the providence of God to work me through all of these things. The detours. Paul said in Acts 14, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Moses could have looked at those people had he had all the information, which he didn't yet. Hey, through many tribulations and 10 plagues, and a lot of wandering and a lot of death and a lot of funerals in the, in the desert, we're going to enter the, the promised land of Canaan. That little paradigm of the big paradigm, he could have said that. All of these things we have to get through to get there. And all I'm saying is, what is it right now that you do not like in your life? And all I'm saying, you complain, you can moan, you can whine, you can be immature, or you can say, I know that is part of it. Through many tribulations, I must enter the kingdom of God. This is part of the plan. I'm going to do as best way I can. I'm going to pray for the good. I'm going to try to reform the bad. I'm trying to fix what's messed up. But that's part of the plan. That's going to change your attitude. That's called maturity. It's called Christian maturity. And that's what we need. See the detours. That's part of God's plan. Do you believe that? Here's another passage about fear. And look at how this all comes together. I'm going to quote it for you. Luke chapter 12. Luke 12, 4 through 7. He says, friends, don't fear those who can kill the body. I'll tell you to fear. Fear the one who after he's killed the body has the authority to cast you into hell. Fear him. That makes perfect sense. Then he says, aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten before God? As it's put elsewhere, there's not a bird that falls out of a tree dead apart from your father, which is a shorthanded way to say the management and providence of God is involved in the death of that bird. Do you believe that? Right? As you shake your fist at God when someone you love dies and you think, ah, why, 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 why? You have to realize all of this is part of God's management of all things. You believe that or you don't. You can fight reality and you can pretend that's not true, that there is no God. Or there is a God and not even birds fall out of the sky. He says in this very next phrase, why, which is an interesting English translation, but you know, it's like, he says, why even the Hairs on your head are all numbered. Process that for a second. That seems a little much, right? Does that matter? God going to treat me different if I have this many hairs versus that many? The point is this. You have no idea the detailed management of God in all things. You're trying to think of, yeah, I guess the way I was raised and where I went to school and who I married and kind of how I ended up in this job. Those big things God planned, I can see that. And God's saying, do you even have a clue? The birds in your backyard don't die apart from the sovereign providential plan of God. Matter of fact, the hairs on your head 
are all right on schedule in terms of what I have designed. I mean, Isaiah 40 says, every star in the sky is cataloged. He sends them forth, by, he calls them out by name. And, and in the Arabian Peninsula, in, in, in dark, in the clear sky, you could probably see about 5,000 stars with the naked eye. That's a lot. Um, of course, they say there are 100 billion stars out there. I couldn't name three kids, but he's got all these names. He says, I understand them all. That's the God that you say you pray to, and yet you've taken this God and you brought him down here like he's some kind of therapist, and we don't think about him being the God who not only knows how many hairs on your head, designed how many hairs on your head, and has determined how many hairs on your head, and is walking you through a life where every single thing, including when you get sick, what happens to you, who dies around you, what jobs you lose, how much money's in your bank, all of those things, he is managing those. And I'm saying you have to fully trust that sovereign providential plan. It's going to change your attitude. You don't have to understand his plan. You just have to trust him. And I know, a lot, I know there's a lot of people I don't understand, but I trust. You may not understand me. I hope you trust me, but there's, there's, there's a difference there. We don't, we don't fully understand God. The transcendent, inscrutable wisdom of God, I get that. Romans eleven thirty three. But I, I have to trust him. I, I don't have any reason not to. All right, lastly, verse 22, back to our text. Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and his deeds. Well, of course, Christ was uniquely prepared, unlike anyone else. And there's only one deliverer, Christ, but all these other agents of deliverance were imperfect and yet critically important. Moses was prepared to do what God had called him to do, to write the first five books of the Bible, to stand up on a rock and speak clearly to hundreds of thousands of people. He was endowed with the right kind of wisdom and background and learning to adjudicate problems, to set up a law code, to do all the things that God had called him to do. And we can see this throughout the Bible from beginning to end. God puts people through the preparation providentially, gives them opportunity, calls them stewards and says, utilize those opportunities and prepare yourself for what I'm going to use you to do. When Paul writes to Timothy, he says, it's like a God who looks at all these vessels in his house and he's got these vessels, they're like tools. I always like to envision the tool chest in my garage and I pull out those drawers and I got those tools laid out. He says he got these tools and he's picking these tools to do the jobs that he has for them to do. And those tools are prepared to do those jobs. And, and I want to tell you that Moses was prepared. And let me even say this, I'm reading the words through Luke that were spoken by Stephen. And do you think Stephen was prepared to stand before the highest court in the land? How did he know all this? He prepped, he prepared, he was prepared. He could look back and see God's providential opportunity for him to address the highest court in the Jewish land and to speak and to represent Christ and represent the church. Um, the Bible is filled with these examples, right? And you know what it's also filled with? Mistakes. And we're going to look at this next week when Moses does not want to respond rightly to God's call. I can't do it. How many guys have said that when God has put them in those positions? Uh, Gideon. Angel Lord shows up. Hey, Gideon. Midianites, you're going to be used to go and deliver them. Me? Right? We get this whole pathetic fleece encounter where he has to prove it. And God condescends to do that. But it's like, he's like, me? I, well, you pick someone else. Jeremiah, you're going to go and be my spokesman here at the end of this period in 
Judah's history, and I need you to speak clearly about the indictment of the problem and fix this problem. Do the best you can to prepare this remnant. And he goes, me? I'm too young. Well, I'm, I don't know anything. They're not going to listen to me. And all I'm telling you, throughout the Bible, you see this example after example after example after example. God taps someone and says, get in here. And Stephen was prepared, and Moses was prepared, and Gideon was prepared. And all these people were ready to go, even the imperfect ones. And we can look at Samson. We can look at so many examples of God using people to say, you're going to be a deliverer in this situation. And I'll bet there's been people in your life that have stepped up and been deliverers in your life, agents of God's deliverance. And God had rightly prepared them for that. Someone led you to Christ, they trust. Someone discipled you. Someone's mentored you. And all I'm telling you is time for you to think that way. And I hope, and thankfully he did, that Moses was a good student when he sat there with the tutors in Egypt. And I hope that you are being prepared right now and taking full advantage as a steward of the things that God is preparing you to do. And I mean that like for tomorrow and this week. Number three, let's just close with this. We need to diligently submit to God's preparation. Diligently submit to God's preparation. And that seems like a contrast of, of, of active and passive, right? We submit to it and, and there is that, but there's a diligent active work in it. Some of you know you need to step up into ministry and you haven't done it. You know you need a ministry post and it's there and you know that that needs to be your responsibility and those hassles and headaches of being a part of that, you need to do it. And I know you don't like it, right? I, I get that, but you need to do it. And you need to say, I'm gonna step up and do what it takes. You have to apply yourself and diligently say, I know there are things I can do today and tomorrow that will get me ready to be useful the next day. D.L. Moody was great with little pithy phrases. He had one that was helpful in this regard. He said, the only preparation for tomorrow is the right use of today. The only preparation for tomorrow is the right use of today. And thankfully, when Moses was 16 and he was there hating some of his homework assignments, God was prepping him to be the one who would do something for his glory. And I'm just wanting you to use today. And I literally mean that today. What can I do today? Maybe it's that book sitting on your nightstand and you haven't touched it for two months. You say, I've got to do what I can to make sure that my mind and my heart and my life are ready. This is Focal Point, and you're listening to the conclusion of a message called The Preparation of Moses. Today's message is part of a series from Pastor Mike Fabares called Gospel Lessons from the Old Testament. If you'd like to listen to the entire series, just visit our website, focalpointradio.org. And while you're online, I invite you to check out all the resources we offer. You'll find more teachings from Pastor Mike on scores of topics, as well as Pastor Mike's detailed sermon notes, his book recommendations, and much more at focalpointradio.org. You know, these resources in this program reach listeners in your area because of people who generously donate to Focal Point. And remember, this program is broadcast on more than 825 stations. We don't make any money from advertising, and we don't put our content behind a paywall. We depend entirely on God's faithful provision. So when you give, you're helping to bring the truth of God's Word to people all across the country. To give a one-time gift today, or sign up to give a monthly gift, call 888-320-5885 or donate online at focalpointradio.org. Or if you prefer, send your donation by mail. Our address is Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. 
And to show our appreciation for your support, we'll send you an excellent resource titled The Most Misused Stories in the Bible, Surprising Ways Popular Bible Stories Are Misunderstood by Eric J. Bargerhoff. This book will help you sort through modern-day distortions of 14 well-known Bible stories and grasp their original meaning and purpose for us today. Request The Most Misused Stories in the Bible when you call and donate at 888-320-5885 or go online to focalpointradio.org. And if you aren't quite ready to give just yet, we'd still love to hear from you. Contact us and we'll send you a fascinating booklet called How We Got the Bible, just for getting in touch. This stunning pamphlet explains who wrote the Bible and why it matters to your life today. Request your free booklet when you contact us at focalpointradio.org. Well, I'm your host, Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again tomorrow for another gospel lesson from the Old Testament. That's coming up Thursday here on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. I pray today's message will help you live out your faith with truth and love. After all, that's the kind of biblical faith that changes lives and transforms a crooked culture. But if you haven't truly surrendered your life to Christ, then I'd like to invite you to get in touch. We'd love to pray with you and help you discover God's plan of salvation. Visit focalpointradio.org. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.